politics. And good afternoon out there on Radio Land. It is Tuesday, which means it is time for the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics live on Blog Talk Radio, broadcasting from your nation's capital throughout the National Capital Region. Joining me as they do every Tuesday, he is the retired one-star admiral from your United States Navy. He's a man that we know as Admiral Ken Carradine. Admiral Ken, how are you, sir? Hey, good afternoon, Justin. How are you? Doing fantastic. And also on the line as he is every Tuesday, he is the man that has served as Undersecretary of Commerce for at last count for president. He is the uh, longtime Senate staffer, longtime Washington insider, the man as we know as the Honorable Alan Moore. Alan, how are you, sir? Hey, I'm well, thanks. Great. And we've got obviously a lot to get to. Let us start off with so many things going on, but let us start off with the latest coming out of Europe. Uh, For those who don't know, uh, on last Saturday, it was uh, around 10 o'clock p.m. local time in London, uh, reports of a white van went going down London Bridge in central London, running down pedestrians. The van then stopped. Three occupants exited the van and went down to a very popular nightlife area in central London called Borough Market. The assailants then took out long knives and began randomly stabbing patrons in the Borough Market area, including outside a very popular pub known as uh, the Wheat Sheet. Uh, At last count, seven dead, not including the three Assailants who are now confirmed dead, uh, over 30 injured, and still in some, and many still in hospital, some with critical injuries. But it was it received international condemnation from the get-go, with one exception: Donald Trump. We're going to talk about that later on in the show. But let's talk about that now. At the same time, we also have to talk about breaking news that happened this morning, coming out of Paris. In uh, outside of Notre Dame Cathedral was a individual who attacked a police officer with a hammer. That individual was shot by another police officer in the area. Uh, subject was not killed, but was last heard saying this is for Al Qaeda. So let's we talked about this last week in, in detail, but now it just seems that it's becoming more and more. The question is when we look at London, for example, and I'll start with you, Admiral Ken. When we look at London and we look at the history of London, you know, these van attacks, have have, have the citizens of London and even England as a whole become almost deliriously callous to the fact that they, many of them lived through the troubles and the IRA bombings back in the 70s and 80s? I mean, if it's going to happen anywhere, are these people calm and carrying on as a result of past history? Uh, I wouldn't say that they're callous, but I, I would say that the exterior that they're presenting and that they've grown over the years um, uh, has shown them to be a hardened group of people. And I, I would uh, I would add not only uh, the troubles with the, uh, the IRA, but go back to World War II. I saw, I saw a picture um, I guess that someone tweeted over the weekend that showed a British woman sipping her tea 
on a pile of rubble that used to be her home. And <laughs> and um and the and the caption was something to the effect of uh this is uh unraveled. In other words, that this this they're very stoic, um very, very hardened group of people. Um when the United States was reading about the bombing of Britain, they were undergoing it uh and enduring it. And so I think the same attitude that they presented during those times, that they presented during the troubles with the IRA, uh, is part of the of the British uh, um, of the British DNA. They're they're just a very tough group of people. And I think I think that um, we as Americans can learn a lot from our cousins uh, and how they deal with things. And you know that that keep calm, carry on. Um, is not just a cool sign to, to give people. That's 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 who they are. Uh, uh, Alan Moore, you know, we we saw the quick response by the Metropolitan Police. Uh, the 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 latest information that we have coming out of London was that from time of the first phone call of the van on London Bridge till the time that the the uh, three assailants were taken down and neutralized was just slightly over eight minutes. Many have said that that was surprisingly too quick. Some say that it wasn't enough. Is, is there anything that the Metropolitan Police could do right or wrong in this instance when it comes to the quick response and neutralizing what could have been an even larger loss of life? Well, it, it, it seems to me... The, not being an expert in the field, that that was a remarkably uh, quick response, given the fact that London is a massive city um, with many areas that could be targeted. Now, admittedly, this is a tourist area um, where, well, tourist and business area where the 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 uh, the terrorists knew there would be a lot of people. And their, their and their endeavor was to take out as many as quickly as they could, and they took out a bunch, and uh, and they all died in in, in the doing. I I, the, I I certainly am in no position to be critical of the response time. I know that the that the that the London police um, are coming under closer scrutiny for the fact that one of the three terrorists, the one who's presumed to be the leader was someone who was in their sights. They, uh, he appeared in um, a, a, a pro ISIS video at one point and had even allegedly been reported by some neighbors as someone um, who needed uh, uh, attention paid to him for some of his behaviors. Um, the police in talking about that are not trying to say, gee, we did everything we could. They're simply saying, we are watching thousands of people. And we checked this one out, did not believe that he was on a path to something like this. Obviously, we wish we had handled it differently, but we are watching Actually, it's tens of thousands of people. So, Admiral Ken, you know, with with that 
taking that into consideration, I mean, this is not an easy job. And then on top of the fact that you're talking about just in the matter of a week, they had the Manchester uh, Ariana Grande concert bombing, and now this, and then even as far back as um, I, I believe it was March where they had the Westminster and Parliament uh, vehicle assault and shooting. And then, you know, we even look at what Brit- many Britons consider their 9-11, the 7-7-2 attacks, the July 7th attacks. Is, is this a new norm with everything going on both in England and in Belgium and then particularly France? Is, the, is this a new norm of terror that we have to be cognizant of and that we're going to, whether we like it or not, move forward with? Well, I, I'm, I, I'm always going to be hesitant about predicting the future. Um, you know, I'll just say, I'll just say. Is that something, well, let me, let me do this, Admiral Ken. It's something that we have to do right now. It's, 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 it's a problem. I mean, obviously, uh, I think Europe, Western Europe has got a huge problem. Um, I think there are some in this country that would, would say that they, they, their immigration issues uh, have gotten completely out of hand. Well, my counter to that would be these guys were homegrown. I think one of them had journeyed to Syria, but by and large, the, the gentleman that, that, uh, that, that Alan spoke of uh, grew up in Great Britain and, um, and became radicalized watching crap on TV and uh, not TV, but the internet and, and uh, listening to, to, uh, to, to some of the propaganda that, that organizations like ISIS have become very, very uh, good at producing. Um, you know, one of the, the folks in, um, in the security business here in town that we know, Justin, uh, said it best. Uh, we have to be good and flawless every freaking day. And all these guys have to do is be lucky. And uh, to Alan's point again, they're watching tens of thousands of people. And I think um, uh, their uh, uh, Prime Minister May uh, is under a great deal of scrutiny right now because uh, she was one of the legislators that pushed for a reduction in funding uh, for some of the security services. Well, you know, I'm, you know, when you've got a problem as massive as they have. Um, reducing the number of people I, through, through reductions of funding doesn't seem like a real rational thing to do. And I think there's, there's probably a lot more going on here, and I'm, I'm not looking to pin the tail on Theresa May, but um, one of the things that we all have to face uh, is the fact that the traditional way that we went through funding our security services and thinking, this, uh, thinking through the problems may need to change. And um, it's 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 that's the one thing that we can be sure of right now. How we look at the problem and what we're doing about it uh, today needs to look different than than how it looked yesterday or even last month. Alan, I I put the same question to you. You know, uh, you know, is this the new normal that we have to deal with every day? And 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 I want to add on to that because I I know in uh, talking to a good friend of mine who is a retired chief constable out of the National Police Service and the former head of their uh, counterterrorism. He actually stood up the National Counterterrorism Team in England. Uh, When he said to me that, you know, Justin, this is now 
normal, and other world cities will no doubt see similar. He said, is that uh, existential? Yes, but it's got it, it's what we are dealing with. Is this something that you think America can deal with the new norm as well as maybe the Brits have? Can, can the American government deal with that much terror in that short of time? Well, so <laughs> the term new normal suggests something that happened this week. And the, 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 the new normal started years ago. The new normal started in America after 9-11. Um, and we started devoting significantly more resources, massive resources, into beefing up local law enforcement capacity and, and, and surveillance capacity, some of it quite controversial. We changed the law that allowed for more uh, governmental surveillance into the behavior of the masses, if you will, um, and that's had its own controversies. And then as more events have, have occurred, whether it's Fort Hood or San Bernardino um, uh, and, and others, and one, some that have been thwarted, it's just a constant reminder that, that America is not what it once was, even though when we compare our situation to that of some of the European cities where they have larger uh, concentrations uh, of immigrants, be they first or, or second generation. And, and, and yes, the main, the, the main guy in the recent uh, attack was homegrown, but he was an immigrant from Pakistan. So he wasn't born here. He's, and he, and, and the, the problem isn't so much where they were born, but how, how they are raised. And, and there, there are many of the, these poorer immigrant groups who live in ghettos in enclaves in but, neighborhoods that Alan, that, 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 Alan, that they dominate let me jump in real quick alan because i want to i want to just tag on to that mindset real quick I, there are some experts that say that the reason why we're seeing the terror attacks in london in paris in europe is because and, and we don't see them as much here two reasons one, because we have the superior expertise in law enforcement capacity here that may not be existent in Europe. But the other reason, and many experts cite this as a key factor, is that Muslims here, even poor Muslims, are able to integrate into our society better than they would in, let's say, Belgium, uh, than they would, say, in, let's say, Nice or Paris, France let's say that even in London or in Manchester. Is there accuracy to that? Well, yes, it is. Um, they assimilate in America extremely well. We pay a lot of attention to it. Uh, American citizens tend to be uh, welcoming their institutions, uh, social services institutions, churches, uh, and so on, who make it a point to participate in this process. Having said that, the numbers we're dealing with are far, far smaller um, uh, than the numbers in some cities um, in, in, in Europe. And in those same cities in Europe, they tend to have higher unemployment rates. And n new, relatively new immigrants 
um, often have much higher unemployment rates than the than the general population. We've been we've been able through a variety of things. Part of it's just the size of our country uh, and and the 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 history of our country of assimilation. Um, it, but it's not that we should be patting ourselves on the back um, as uh, we can. But but it, it, as much as we can say, thank God we don't we don't have to deal with the the numbers of of people uh in our cities that the Europeans have had to deal with even prior to the massive influx of refugees most of whom are desperate people trying to stay alive but some of whom are not um and and uh it, it, it trying to decide how much to spend on surveillance how much to spend on cameras scattered around City, so that you can track something after the fact, or while you're watching particular individuals, um, beefing up the numbers of people and the capabilities of, of law enforcement people is just staggering. And you think about all the needs in any society, and when you have to double or triple or quadruple or increase tenfold the amount of money you spend for law enforcement to try to keep people safe, it's it it's a it 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 gets politicized. It's challenging. There are there are finite limits to how much you can spend. There are arguments about how much you should spend. Um, I have great sympathy for a, for a politician. It takes some courage to say, you know, I think we're spending enough here. We we need to uh, take care of people's needs elsewhere too. Not least of all, immigrant populations who are poor crowded, angry, and non-assimilated. It, it's, uh, every country's different. All the big cities are, are different. It's really hard to generalize. But we, what we are now having to deal with everywhere in the world is a greater risk of individual actors or very small groups of actors, two, three, five people, um, wantonly, randomly going out to do harm, to disrupt, to kill, and are and are and are prepared to die for the cause. That's what's new ever arguably since nine eleven. But Admiral Ken, you know, going off of what Ellen was saying, there seems to be a a push to whereas America's been very successful in assimilating and integrating the Muslim immigrant community as well as I mean, let's be honest, there is a very strong and very integrated, you know, domestic Muslim community that has been created in this nation over the span of our history. There seems to be a push to almost segregate the Muslim community, which are we in danger if we take that route based on, for example, what the president has suggested and what many of his followers believe, segregate that community or we put them under... Uh, special surveillance or we try and push them out, are we not looking to undo what has been a factor in America not being attacked as much? Uh, I guess the simple answer to that question is yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, you're, it's, I think it's self-evident. I mean, you know, we, we, Alan said it best. If you take a look at how European governments have 
for lack of a better way of putting or lack of a better word, handled their immigrant population compared to how the United States uh, has, has different laws protecting um, uh, minorities, although we're not the best at following them for all of our minorities, obviously. Um, we're in, we're, I think we're in a much better place than we are than, than are some of the, some of the European countries. But yeah, I think you know part of the part of the I think the backlash that you're that you're even hearing from uh, even the most staunch Republicans who who are still voicing their support for the president is that um, you know putting in laws that tend to segregate and ghettoize. Uh, a group of people based on their religion not only is un-American, it's also illegal, and um, and I think that might be the one big difference between between the United States and and some of some of our European countries. And not only is it illegal, it's, not, it's something they, they took an oath not to do. And, but Ellen Moore, and, 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 and let me let me just add something to what to what Ken said because there's it's 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 not American. It's not in our our tradition. Um, it's in many instances uh, not legal, depending upon what someone is seeking to do. Um, but it is also demonstrably, oftentimes, counterproductive. When when we try to single out Muslims in America and talk about monitoring churches or registering all Muslims. Um, what we do by creating a we, they, and a second-class level of citizenship and a lack of trust, we take those who are our best allies in identifying the potential terrorists and alienating them. That you talk to anyone in federal or even local law enforcement about where they get their major tips on who to watch out for. It comes from the Muslim communities. It comes from mosques. And they don't walk around saying, we're your best friends. We're going sque- to squeal on people um, or report on people who make us really uncomfortable because of the way they talk or the way they act. Um, and, and yet, it is those communities who provide the information, the tips, um, uh, the thoughts, the ideas that are so crucial to our heading off uh, new terrorists. So, um, we—I'm sorry, Alan—it's it, just a crucial ingredient to the entire anti-terrorist effort. And it should, be mentioned, it should be mentioned that some of the uh, the, the, uh, the London, the latest London attacks, uh, ringleader, uh, some of his fellow Muslim uh, neighborhood uh, uh, residents reported him. Yep. Well, and we're interviewed, and, and we're interviewed on Western television saying yeah. he was scaring our kids. Yeah, and and here's the thing. Even, you know, you, you, you look at a city like London, and we hear about a uh, a segregated, almost disgruntled Muslim community. And at the same time, though, we see a mayor in London, the Lord Mayor uh, Sadiq Khan, a Muslim, 
born in England, third generation or second generation uh, Britain. And we, we think that, especially with a Muslim mayor, that he would understand best to integrate in the community, be, make them uh, part of an assimilation into the, the greater London fabric. Are, is, is he too new to have that happen, or is it something that's just this is a problem too big for him to try and tackle in his term as Lord Mayor? Alan well, what you're, what you're, yeah, what you're suggesting is sort of the, the, the same kind of question for, uh, let's say, a mayor in a southern city who's an who's a, a African-American um, uh, to say, gee, is, why is this African-American mayor not uh, uh, achieving full integration and assimilation into, into this community that is full of ra- racial animus? Um, because it's, it's, it's got its historic cultural roots that can't be modified in, in a short period of time by a few well-meaning people. It takes generations. You have, imbi- you have, you have poor areas and wealthy areas. You have um, de facto segregation, um, whether it's in, in American cities American South, London, Paris, Brussels. Yeah, but Alan Moore, um, Alan Moore though, we, we, what we don't have in the United States, you know, not since the Black Panther movement, are militant, violent African-American communities that feel that they are being oppressed and segregated in southern cities. But, but Justin, I will tell you, you know, being a black person in this country, um, I heard a lot of comments um, to the effect of, oh, wow, we've got President Obama now. Hey, we're free now. And, and looking for him to do great and wonderful things when, because he was president of the United States. To Alan's point, you know, prejudice is born out of ignorance. And, and it sometimes is born out of stupidity. You can fix ignorance over time. You know, all it takes is, you know, the passing of time and, you know, and, 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 and the broadening of minds and the opening, opening of hearts. You can't fix stupid. And you just have to wait for those people to die out. And I hate to be, hor- be harsh about it, but that's just the way it is. And no, the, I- fact of, the fact of the matter is, the fact of the matter is that, that the president of the United States, much like the mayor of London, is an elected person. And in order for this person to basically stay in office and make changes, they have to get reelected and move things an inch or millimeter at a time versus whole yards and whole feet. That's just the way it is. Under, understood. But, you know, are we, are we expecting too much out of Sadiq Khan when we see in London now within six months two terror attacks which have caused the loss of double digit lives my uh, opinion my, my opinion is that so that all of this does not rest on Sadiq Khan Sadiq Khan is the mayor of a city in a country with a terrorist problem much like much like the mayor much like hang on much like the mayor of Paris is in a is the mayor of a city in a country with a terrorist problem there's only so much that 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 that, that the local that the local um, government can do without the 
without the assistance, the, the, the major assistance of the larger, and I hate to use the word federal, but, um, but uh, British uh, and British intelligence services uh, backing them up. They're outnumbered. It's Custer in Indian country right now. Yeah, but here's the, here's the thing about that, though. I mean, is, is there a is there a high expectation of Sadiq Khan? You know, when we look at London, does Sadiq Khan have a responsibility to try and um, encourage? The integration, and, and even integration, I think, is a bad word for this instance, assimilation into the British culture. It almost how sounds like... Not? How, how do we know he's not? I, I mean, how, how, how do we know he's not? I, would, I, guess... I would say, I, I, I'm with Cam there. In, in fact, on, on the face of it, there's quite a lot of evidence that this guy has devoted an enormous amount of his life to... The idea of assimilation. He is the mayor. <laughs> he got yeah. himself elected, and 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 he he's a Muslim with with I think Pakistan Pakistani roots, and and so it can happen. I'm confident that he's uh, an expert in the subject and has probably encouraged and nudged and cajoled and begged and and so on. In, in all sorts of ways, but but uh, uh, I and I don't know when he was elected whether the whole issue of uh, Islamic terrorism was a big or small issue in an election. I don't know that it was, um, and I don't know what I don't know what expectations uh, were upon him, what commitments were made. I'll tell you this: it's high on his priority list now. No matter what the circumstances of his election. True, true. And 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 I want this to be the last word for the last uh, the last word of this segment. We're going to continue on this discussion because we have an entire segment about how America uh, dealt with this, which an embarrassment is the only way I can come up with it. The, the and and my question I think wasn't the right question. I, I think the wording on it was wrong. I, you know, yes, is Sadiq Khan, knowing what I know about uh, British government and, and the politics of London, uh, yes, I believe honestly, deep in my heart, that he is truly trying to make London a more accepting, a more embraced place for Muslims of all social standing to be part of that culture and fabric. I honestly believe that. Um, but I think also, though, that especially with the events that have happened over the past week in England, I guess the bigger question is, is there, an, is there too much pressure or can, the British, or can the citizens of London have an over-expectation of what Mayor Sadiq Khan can do as far as embracing the Muslim community and making them less – uh, volatile, if you will. I, I, I certainly, I for one, have no idea. I don't know what the expectations of the of, of the people in London are. Um, whether they think, gosh, at least we've got somebody here who has a has a grasp of the situation and has some credibility, uh, or it may be to the contrary. Um, but the, it, what's so hard in the, any of these cases is there's. 
these are individual acts, one person, two person, three person, five person, six person, eight person. You know, there have, I've been reading about what prompts some of these suicide terrorists, uh, which is the new breed we have to live with, um, perfectly prepared to die. And gosh, how do you protect against that? Um, that, that yes, they go on the web. Yes, they read stuff. They learn stuff. They see images. So there's a lot of controversy now in this country and elsewhere.
Sorry about that technical difficulties, as is the case whenever you do a live broadcast. Uh, we are back here. Joining me as they are every Tuesday is Admiral Ken Caradine and Alan Moore. Admiral Ken, Alan, how do you guys hear me? I hear you fine now. Yeah. Gotcha. Loud and clear. Perfect. Perfect. Hey, um, we, we were talking about the uh, situation with the terror uh, the terrorist incident over there in London earlier, but I want to talk about how the situation was dealt with here in the States. Uh, for those who do not know, uh, the evening of the attack in London on London Bridge and in Borough Market, uh, our fearless leader, Donald Trump, went on a Twitter storm and really not only took uh, the Lord Mayor Sadiq Khan of London out of context, but I would go so far as to say that uh, he was almost insulting him and 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 called it or called the response pathetic. Um, Alan Moore, for uh, an ally like Britain, where we have and we've claimed for just hundreds of years the special relationship in particularly the post-World War II special relationship we have, it seems to me that Donald Trump is on the verge of just tearing a lot of that down by just tweeting at 3 a.m. Is, is, am I off base on that assessment? Well, let's acknowledge president has become unhinged. He is obviously feeling besieged from all directions, including one has to assume, but we can't know for sure, from right inside the White House. He thinks that the press is out to get him. He thinks that the newspapers, the the TV stations, politicians of probably both parties, and his own staff are out trying to tell him how to uh, how to act, what not to do, um, and I recall even during the campaign there were some famous times where his staff would say, "You need to do it this way," and then it was almost like he so hated being told how to do something that he would do it the other way just to spite them and when you feel besieged, when you're not making any progress, when everyone is being critical of you, including people who uh, who are Republicans or leaned Republican, 
um, or who you even thought were friends at one point in time, some some of us become, if that happens to us, really sad and reflective and humble and thoughtful. And then there are those who strike out fiercely, madly, with in any direction, every direction, with any weapon uh, available to them. And here's a president who kind of, you know, he's had his ups and downs with Twitter, mostly downs, but at different times there would be these pauses giving giving people some hope that, well, maybe he's going to temper this. And then, as you say, the whole uh, London bombing, uh, London, not the bombing, the London killing and, and stabbing incident seemed to unleash this pent-up anger um, so he not only tw- he not only attacks the London the, the 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 mayor of London who was trying to calm his people down by saying you're going to see a much bigger police presence but don't panic over that t- completely takes that message out of context and 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 attributes different feelings to the to the mayor. And then goes on to say, and this is why we need the travel ban. And yes, it's a travel ban. And then he trashes his Justice Department for the earlier watered down version and then says, we, we need to get this passed and go back to the original version. All of these no, no, no's that his lawyers would tell him, his advisors would tell him, his fellow Republicans would tell him. Um, and that's why I say unhinged, because there's no rationale or logic to this other than flailing around and trying to strike back at, at, at people he thinks are trying to control him or are being critical of him. It's just nutty and scary. Admiral Ken, you know, we saw what happened in the after the uh, NATO summit, after the, the, rather, the NATO gathering and after the G7 summit. And we have, you know, created tension between Washington and insert European capital here. And the one relationship that we thought could never be torn down because it is that special was the relationship between Westminster and London and yet now we've managed to take a shot at that between intelligence leaks, which ticked off the MI5 and MI6, and now this unexcusable attack on the Lord Mayor of London City Con and a, 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 an unusual attack on the Metropolitan Police. Admiral Ken, how do we justify that? How do we even possibly make this right with our allies in Britain? Well, um, absent a special election um, or the resignation of the current president, um, I don't know how we get that done. Um, And I I say that very tongue-in-cheek because I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think the country, I don't think our country uh, is, 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 is one in the mood for it. Two, we handle it very well. Three, needs that right now. Um, you know, I, I I listened to a number of um, 
reporters and commentators um, talk about the president's mental stability, especially over the last uh, 24 to 48 hours, and it troubles me. Uh, I'm not I'm not willing to call him unhinged yet. Um, I'm just not. I think maybe because I spent so many so many years, you know, looking at the office of the president, the commander in chief, and I believe in giving the office its its due, even if the person in the office doesn't doesn't do that. Um, but I, you know, and what what I what I what I I think I I come down to is this um, expectations that President Trump was going to behave presidential were false expectations. Um, expectations that President Trump understood the, the nuances of international politics, trade. Uh, law enforcement, immigration, healthcare, um, I think were were falsely placed. Uh, he was elected to, you know, to shake the place up, and by golly, he has done that and continues to do it every day. Uh, and if if the expectation was going to be that things were going to be better by injecting chaos into an already troubled system then again, those expectations were misplaced. Bottom line is I am not surprised, uh, nor am I pleased by anything that I have seen happen since January of of this year. And I think, quite frankly, as things become more complex, become more difficult in the days to come, um, we will see other things that will leave us scratching our head going, how did we do this? Why did we do this to ourselves? And if nothing else, I'm hoping that we will survive it and that we will basically look at this the same. This is what happens when you basically put someone in office who, does, who has not demonstrated um, the, the intellectual curiosity, um, the, 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 the calmness, uh, and the ability to listen to the counsel of people who have got uh, significant backgrounds in, in the area in which you're, you're being challenged. This is where we are. Alan, when we talk about dog whistles, and let's be honest, this president puts out a dog whistle, and right or wrong, he's got an entire pound of dogs that will follow suit. You know, he puts out a tweet about travel ban, and you go on Facebook at any given time, and everybody's following along right with him and watch that. He's... Are we entering a dangerous situation when it comes to our international policies and how we deal with different cultures, and could that backfire on us long term? Well, (laughs) he's clearly doing damage to America around the world. The question is whether it's allies in Europe, whether it's trading partners um, uh, in Asia, whether it's Central and South America, um, in different ways, at different times, he's found uh, ways without a lot of work, apparently, or reflection to offend uh, quite broadly. The question is, and and it just totally goes against uh, America, certainly since the post-World War II period of alliances. Um, and and well, the question is, how bad can it get? 
and how permanent is the damage? I I don't know the answer. Uh, every time it's bad, you think, wow, that that's that's the worst. And then he'll come up with something that's uh, equally uh, offensive um, or more so. And so then you start thinking, okay, what is what's the world thinking? How 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 permanent is any of this? And you also watch what some of his his uh, senior lieutenants do to try to say, yeah, yeah, well, it, whether it's uh, whether it's the Paris Climate Accords and people are saying we're still engaged, we're still party to all of this, don't panic, or in the case of NATO and the fa- and, and and his refusal in the controversial NATO speech to say something that was in the text, but mysteriously disappeared that uh, so-called article five, it's an attack on one member of NATO is an attack on all. Um, It was in the text. It did not get spoken. Um, So leaving secretary Mattis, secretary Tillerson to wander around and say not in, or vice president Pence yesterday, no, no, not to worry, not to worry. We embrace, uh, we embrace NATO, and the president has said kind things about NATO, and we fully accept our uh, our core responsibilities uh, uh, of Article Five. So these guys, it, it's it's sort of like after the 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 circus shut down, right? Um, the the they they got rid of the elephants first. Now all all of Barnum and Bailey is gone. The guys who who had an important job and didn't know what they were going to do were the guys who used to walk behind the elephants and pick up after them the massive piles of excrement that they would leave on the street as they walked through in a parade. Those guys are now working for this administration, walking around cleaning up this excrement or trying to that that the president keeps viewing without any real thought. Now, I don't know what the long-range impact is going to be of any of that. It certainly um, makes everybody nervous, but it's not like we've undone in a matter of months everything that it took 70 years to put together, but we've certainly damaged it. But, Admiral Ken, how can we sustain this type of damage and and not have it directly affect us here at home. Well, I don't know that I don't know that it, it, it uh, that we can. I, I, you know, I think you know, Justin. That's, that's a really hard question. Again, you're 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 asking, you know, to, to to do a prediction. Okay, so worst case scenario, worst case scenario, we we suffer another attack like we did on 9/11, and a lot of people. Would, that we're, we're screaming about, you know, uh, we're, we're applauding Donald Trump wanting to walk away from NATO. Forget that just a few short years ago when, when, when we were struck on 9-11, the, the countries that were part of NATO stepped up to say, hey, they went after us too. We're all in this together. And so, you know, in, in, the, in the, the unlikely, hopefully unlikely event that we have another attack like that, um, do are, are we in a position to be able to handle it by ourselves? Um, the, are the Five Eyes, uh, you know, intelligence agreement, which is for the most part made up of NATO fellow NATO countries, are they going to turn a blind eye and a deaf ear to us to make us spin for ourselves? I don't think 
that 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 all of those questions are being asked and answered um, in in the White House. I think they're being asked and answered. But in Admiral Ken, like Admiral Ken, but I don't think they're being asked and answered in the White House. Yeah, Admiral Ken, these are questions that have to be asked in the White House. That is the problem. The yep, problem is, is that we have a rudderless ship in the White House. We have an unhinged human being who could not manage a government and yet has an entire army of followers that will follow him into the depths of wherever because he brings change. This is not the change that America needs. This is not the change that America was built on. This is demagoguery. This is rhetoric. This is brinksmanship insanity coming forward and being the voice and the chief executive of what I think was one of the most powerful nations in, in, in the history of the world. And, and, perhaps, he's, and he's and managed perhaps, to turn the U.S. into kind of a, a B-rate first world power. And perhaps that's the reason that he's got a, uh, a popularity uh, um, rating right now of about 37%, and it's been on a steady decline. And, you know, and interestingly, we, you and I both know a, uh, you and I both know a merchant here in the Washington, D.C. area who is a, uh, who is a hard and fast Trump supporter whose response to that would be, yeah, but he's, he's got almost 100% uh, approval rating among, among the people that voted for him. And my response to that would be, well, you know, gosh, if those were all the people that he had to worry about leading, then we'd be in a great shape, but we're not. So I you're mean, right. Alan Moore, have we elected P- have we elected P.T. Barnum? I mean, literally, there is a sucker born every minute, and these people would still vote for Donald Trump. Is this a matter of we have a apathetic electorate? Is it the dumbing down of our electorate, or have we literally elected P.T. Barnum? Well, I wouldn't say, <laughs> I wouldn't call him P.T. Barnum. He he. Uh... We've elected a salesman. We have we elected a P.T. Barnum would would be embarrassed to be associated with this. We 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 elected a guy who is a, was a very successful salesman, um, both of himself and some of his products, and he treats being president much the same way. Tell the folks anything. Promise them anything. Tell them you're going to have the best health care uh, program in the history of the world. Tell them you're going to have a fabulous tax system. Tell them you're going to, uh, you're going to make major strides in, in education, in public safety, in defense, in infrastructure, you name it. And the, you, you know, in, in the next two weeks, we're going to be announcing it. We're making great progress. All is nonsense and 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 there's just this this sequence over and over again and after a while you know there's no enthusiasm for the latest the latest promise because there's an expectation based on experience that it's an empty promise that's the danger here now he's america I just wanted to say when you said, that, have, are, are we now a second-rate, first-rate power or whatever it is? No, 
No, we still stand alone just because we're so big and such a strong economy and a massive uh, defense and international capability. And it's not going to be blown to smithereens in a matter of months or even a few years. It's sure getting beat up and damaged and harmed in a whole host of ways. But it's not like uh, we've certainly come down a few pegs unnecessarily to no advantage to America. Uh, You want America to be, if you like America first, then we need to be first in all things, including how we're perceived and what our role is in the world. Um, But it's not like we've dropped and somebody else has taken over. It's not like, wow, now it's the Russians and Putin. Uh Uh-uh. Nope. They're they're scoring a lot of points right now because we're allowing them to. But they're a pathetic economy. And and uh, and that's not going to change. It's just that it's so distressing to see the the ignorance and the self indulgence um, that is associated um, with this president. It, it's also kind of amazing that there is this thirty six percent of folks who 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 are going to stand with him. I guess through anything because. They, they're, they're still saying, I like what he's doing. He's talking tough. Give him a chance. Leave him alone. Well, you can't leave a guy alone who is walking uh, through the streets or through the, through the countries of the world and just – or it's like a giant china shop. and just breaking China all over the place. He's not constructing anything. It, it's wow. just uh, really depressing. Well, we got to come back. We got to talk about another faux pas that was the president pulling out of Paris last week. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about that. This is Backroom Politics, the best political talk show you've never heard of, live on Blog Talk Radio, live from Washington, D.C. We'll be back in two minutes. Stay with us. This is Backroom Politics, live on Blog Talk Radio. We'll be back in a few minutes. Stay with us.
backroom politics. And we're live back here in the national capital region of your United States. This is the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is backroom politics live on Blog Talk Radio. Joining me as they do every Tuesday, Admiral Ken Carradine and the Honorable Alan Moore. Hey, uh, continuing on the discussion of, you know, has America lost its leadership position? I give you example B. Uh, last week, the president, in a in a in a very ham-handed press conference and a kind of a, a bizarre message coming out of that, uh, decided to announce that he was in fact going to withdraw the United States from the uh, Paris Global Warming Accords. Uh, the the bottom line here is number one, it, it is enraged many in industry. Uh, He went against the advice of many in his own cabinet, including Secretary of State Rex Tillerson, uh, including uh, Secretary of Defense uh, General Mattis. uh, And uh, he also went against a lot of our allies, i.e. Germany, i.e. Italy, i.e. even Britain. So the question now becomes is, uh, yet again, was the Paris move a smart move in many aspects, Alan Moore, or is this ultimately going to hurt America, continue on hurting America's standing as a global leader? Well, I thought it was a mistake. Um, I didn't think it was a disaster. I thought there was a case to be made. I thought there was a case to be made against the uh, the Paris Accord. I don't think the president made that case, um, and I think that it was a mistake. I it it it's it's a it's a group, two hundred countries who make individual voluntary commitments. There's no sanctions if if they fail. Um, there is some expectation of some money being collected and gathered and moved to poorer countries to help them achieve objectives, but there's no. There's no there's no certainty of that. Yeah, what? It's all voluntary. There was nothing binding us that said it was going to cost us billions of dollars paying writing out. No, that's what I said, Justin. You're interrupting me to repeat what I said, but go ahead. No, but but the thing about it is, it was voluntary, and yet we we still managed to anger. A majority of our allies in doing this to the point where they said, "Well, we're not going to let you out." I mean, does this seem logical from a chief executive? Wait, they're they're not going to let us what? The well, the the, the joint statement by, uh, I believe it was uh, Angela Merkel uh, by the German government, the Italian government, and I thought it was the British government that wrote that that literally within the hour of the announcement issued a joint statement saying, yeah, you can't back out of this. No, they didn't say that. They said, we're still fully committed to this. Okay. And, okay. You know, we, it's, it's, it's voluntary. We're in it voluntarily. And we, there, there, are, there are these sort of weird rules for what you can do if you want to, if you want to pull out voluntarily. It's, Strangely enough, takes a couple of years, none of none of which makes a whole lot of sense to me. Um, but when I say that that 
much is being made of this, interestingly, by people who two years ago, when we entered the agreement, said, there's nothing here. This is a nothing burger. There's nothing required. What a weak, pathetic um, agreement this is. And some of the people who were saying that are now totally up in arms and outraged. I think it was a mistake. I think that the symbolism of this deal um, was important enough to keep us in. The U.S. is a leader in some of the technologies. We are applying them. We will continue to apply and supply. But it was another case of a self-inflicted wound for no particular benefit other than it seemed to me him to be able to say, hey, I told you during the campaign 20 different times, 70 times, 150 times that I was going to pull us out of it. So it seemed to be one of the big arguments was he said he would do it, so he needs to do it. There are some legal reasons that could emerge where one would say we, we need to get out. We are not in that situation. We could have waited on that. I just didn't get the timing. I thought his exclamation was wrong, that the damaging claims made were unsubstantiated nonsense. Um, so uh, having said that, you know, that was the story for a couple of days. And then along came the, the London bombing, the trashing of the mayor, the screwing up the legal case um, for the travel ban, undercutting all of his own people. Um, it, it, anyway, it, it's, it's become par for the course here for this president to continue to, pardon the expression, trump himself with still another ill-thought, poorly explained, dumb thing. Admiral Ken, at what point do we start seeing key cabinet members? I mean, do you envision, uh, you know, Secretary of State Tillerson sticking around to see this uh, funnel of power just go down the drain? Do you envision somebody like a McManus or a Master? Uh, I, I mean, a Mattis or a McMaster sticking around and watching this continue to deteriorate not only our influence in the global uh, community, but erode our national security? Um, I think the last person off that ship is going to be General Mattis. Secretary you Mattis. think so? He'll be the last guy off. And the reason that he'll be the last guy off is because he's in the unique role where he, he, he has basically got the responsibility for the welfare of the American military on his shoulders. And if you know anything about Mattis, he knows that he, he will know that he takes um, the responsibility of care of his people very, very seriously. And quite frankly, that's why so many of us were happy to see him in the job because he's the first one of his ilk um, in a very, very long time. I, I want to say since uh, George C. Marshall. So um, I think, I think uh, Mattis will be the last guy out. Uh, I think one of the first people off the boat Probably would be uh, Rex Tillerson. Um, here's a person who was was a real, a real underscore, putting bold letters, parentheses, uh, quotation marks, real American businessman who understands 
um, how a corporation is supposed to run, even a corporation like the United States, uh, like the way Donald Trump wants the United States to be. And I think uh, Tillerson would be one of the first guys to go, especially if he keeps getting uh, undercut the way he has been over the last month or so. Um, When do I think it's going to happen? No idea. Um, Quite frankly, I I kind of expect that people will start disappearing already. But things, quite frankly, they're not that bad, really. When you think about all the stuff that could go wrong, things aren't that bad yet. And this little deal with the Paris uh, Climate Accord, on the uh, on the Richter scale of, uh, of, of 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 earthquakes, this isn't even an aftershock. It's not even a tremor. Things could be so much worse than what they are. So I, I wouldn't sweat that. Okay, but at the same time, Admiral Ken, you know, when we look at the current state of the executive branch here, this is a guy that has no problem throwing his own people under the so-called bus. If you look at Regarding the travel ban, I mean, he pretty much just came out and said, hey, everybody down at DOJ headquarters in the Robert F. Kennedy building, you guys are all idiots. Well, again, like I said, I think as bad as things are, um, they, they are they, they can be so much worse. I expected some people to start disappearing already. Uh, they haven't. I think the first guy that ought to the first guy that ought to jump off the boat swim for sure is Sean Spicer, and being a being a fellow Navy guy, he, I know he knows how to swim, so I think he ought to be the first guy off uh, of his own volition because that poor guy, you know, holy crap! I mean, his, you know, he is, he's 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 done it. he's he's done it to himself, and he's let people do it to him almost since day one, and it's unfortunate. You know, Alan Moore, when when we look at all the things that happened internationally, you know, between Paris, uh, between the response to the, uh, the uh, attacks on London Bridge the other day, the attack on Sadiq Khan and the, British Metropolitan, and the London Metropolitan Police, uh, the issues that we've had with Theresa May's own intelligence community with MI5 and MI6, you know, and, and that's just to name what's happened in the past two and a half weeks. At what point do, does the American electorate start saying, okay, enough's enough? Or will we even see that point? You know, I, I don't know. Um, you know, there were, <laughs> there were plenty of Trump haters um, before, uh, before he was elected. You know, he did get a minority of the popular vote. Um, and since then... You know, he's lost, you know, that this sort of 10 percent, 10 to 12 percent of the the uh, uh, both. uh, Well, a a majority of the swing voters and a good number of Republicans who've just thrown up their hands and say, this guy scares me. But what are they supposed to do about it? Now, what freaks out the Republicans in the Congress is that they know that. The entire House of Representatives will be up for election in uh, in uh, in 2018. Um, a, a small group of Republican senators are up. Um, suddenly, are the is the Congress play just from a political standpoint? The the public, I don't know. You know they they're making noise. They show up at at uh, at at. <laughs> 
events to to demonstrate against uh, the the president in remarkable numbers. But we're not talking about a mass movement, riots in the streets. That's just not how America typically operates. People say, well, it's kind of a weird show. And I don't know that much about that international stuff anyway, but I'm still waiting for the jobs to come back to my community. The economy continues to purr along. Don't lose sight of what what Wall Street's doing and what the stock market is doing because it's pretty remarkable given given the disasters that seem to be befalling us internationally and politically for that matter. We're not making any progress on on objectives. Um, the earnings are still up. The economy is yeah, improving. Yeah. Unemployment rates four point three percent. Yeah, but Alan Moore, Alan Moore, let, let me just ask this real quick. I mean, you know, we, we hear about the Trump bump. We we know that this, we know that Wall Street has been receptive for whatever reason about what's going on, and and God bless it. You know, it, it's, it's called profits. It's called but, profits. No, no, and God bless it because that that, that creates a healthy community. But at the same time, you know, we hear about how the economy under Trump is just so magnificent, fantastic. Last job numbers fell 40,000 short of what the estimate was. This is the second quarter in a row where we've seen job increases. But, you know, every time a job numbers comes out and it misses the mark, Trump says, oh, we've created jobs. Look at me. I am the greatest. When do we start seeing through the smoke in the mirrors? Well, it's, it's like I said. So the job numbers are interesting, but they're not irrelevant. But the, the employment rate uh, is down to 4.3%. Now, there are problems with that rate. We've talked about them in the past. It misses a lot of people who are still sort of on the sidelines. But what I'm talking about are corporate profits. Businesses in the country, the economy in general, is doing well People are much more optimistic and confident about the economy, not about the U.S.'s role in the world, but about their local economy, their own chances, the chances for their kids to get jobs. Um, It's a good job market for kids just out of college. I mean, there's a bunch of stuff that Trump wants to take credit for. Every president wants to take credit for it if it's doing well and they want to blame somebody else if it's not. So he will claim credit. Well, so did every other, so does every other president along the way uh, to take credit when things are going well. But that's that's the backdrop. That's and that's also a reminder of sort of the missed opportunity of uh, you know he still wants to trash uh, uh, President Obama for mistakes made and he made plenty of them. But 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 you know we probably arguably could have been where we are now economically speaking. Uh, that same place a couple of years ago had different decisions been made by uh, in, in the prior eight years, but that that's just a nothing argument. So he is he is a a feeling extraordinary good fortune that the economy was poised to continue to move forward and uh, and make progress regardless of of what's going on politically and barring world war or barring some massive outburst of terrorist attacks in America 
that would cause us to have to shut down uh, economic activity in major cities. That's so one of the things that we, we, we would that we would really fear. So, Admiral Ken, let me let me see if I'm I'm reading uh, Alan correctly and want your take on this. Basically, Wall Street would have to tank, and in order for Wall Street to really tank right now, Wall Street would have to be would have to experience a large-scale terrorist attack to drive that number down, or a large company like GM would have to turn into Enron real quick and start some sort of downward spiral. But unless we have a terror attack and the stock market tanks, Trump looks like a hero. So is there a question there? Yes. I would love your (laughs) thoughts on that. Well, again... You know, like I said, for all of the things that that we we've talked about today and, and over the last last few months or so, um, things aren't that bad. And some people would say they're they're better. Uh, they're not perfect, but things aren't that bad. And I think in order for things to get bad, um, uh, some of the the examples that you have just voiced would be among those things that would have to get bad before I think some of the, the folks um, that are some of the, the, the I wouldn't even say big Trump supporters, I would say the ones that are on the fence but you know, trying to still lean towards supporting President Trump, in order for them to start leaning away from them, leaning away from him, some things like the ones you just described would have to happen. Yeah. I mean, when you think about it, Justin, I mean, you know, is, is some of these are some of these things embarrassing? Yeah. Um, I mean, I got embarrassed when 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 as a candidate he was making fun of the uh, the, the the physically disabled reporter when he was using inappropriate language to talk about women. I, I'm, I you know I'm married now and I got a I got a daughter you know who's still trying to figure out why why her dad's a voting Republican. But at the end of the day, things aren't that bad yet, and they would have to get to be pretty bad, I think, in order for people. You know, when people start jumping ship, uh, I mean, important, uh, uh, loud, vocal people will start jumping ship, and that 37, 36% to start dwindling down to 15 or 10 before you're going to really start seeing a real uh, um, uh, request for change again. So, let me, here's the thing is, again, is this a matter of, and I go to you, Alan Moore. You know, when we talk about the success of the economy, but if we continue to do harm to our positioning in um, in Europe, in Asia, you know, when we have the EU start talking about doing away with uh, visa-less travel for Americans as a result of our own immigration decisions, eventually that catches up to us. And what we've found in past history is that when we don't do well internationally in international standing, when we go into isolationism, it tends to affect our economy directly. I give you, for example, pre-World War II. You know, FDR's economy was in no great shakes going into 1939, 1940. It was the Industrial Revolution that came as a result of our entering the war that really gave boost to the U.S. economy at the time. Are, are, are we destined to repeat that, Alan Moore? No. No. Not close. No. Not close? So here's the no. question. Here's the question then. Is 
does our standing in the global community affect our economics down the road? Well, it can eventually. Um, you know, I, I I was a believer in the the Trans-Pacific Partnership TPP trade agreement. The president takes a lot of grief in some circles for simply saying we're done with that. And I laugh because Hillary Clinton abandoned it. Uh, Republicans in the Senate abandoned it. That sucker was dead before the election. So it, 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 <laughs> it was one of those cases where we were, we were moving away from broad-based multinational um, trade deals we may have some conversations with the Canadians and the Mexicans about renegotiating NAFTA. That will take a long time. Who knows what the outcome will be? Um, the the fact of the matter is, you you can't just unilaterally declare uh, a trade war and and suddenly uh, interrupt multi-billion dollar investments all over the all over the world that we rely on for uh, the way we live stuff can't happen that fast barring war um, um, or some extraordinarily uh, uh, crazy unilateral move I don't even know what that would be I, I think that the so all of this stuff takes time. This is a you – know, Ken, Ken knows about uh, about aircraft carriers moving at top speed um, and how, what it takes to turn one. What it takes to turn one five degrees, much less 90 degrees. So um, there's just a massive amount of inertia in the, in the economies of the world. Um, even if somebody – even when there's an Iraq war or – well, there's a you know oil disruption somewhere. The, and just, the world just, the world res, the world responds remarkably quickly to uh, uh, to make adjustments, and you know that isn't to say that you can't that 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 the, that higher consumer confidence is is immutable and and can't change, or that we're not in a, another new residential housing bubble, which we seem to be at least in some parts of the country. Um, but uh, it, it, it should be a little bit humbling and maybe re- for, for, the, for the president and a little bit reassuring for the rest of us that powerful as the president is, he's not all powerful. There are forces out there that move um, with or without uh, uh, actions or words of of a president, um, the the economics of daily living are a, 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 a are the aircraft carrier here in the water that are this force that um, is pretty hard to turn uh, unless we get into a massive recession two thousand seven and eight um, a, a attack on the twin towers a. Uh, um, 9/11. You know there are events that 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 can occur, but I am not seeing this president causing that yet. Yeah, Admiral Ken, you you had thoughts? Yeah. So you know, with regard to um, things internationally impacting our economy, 
and vice versa. You know, my thought was, you know, I remember when I first joined uh, the program, uh, uh, the country of Greece was going through its big, big economic crisis. And, um, you know, that country, for all practical purposes, was, was going broke. And so when, when, when other countries, most of the countries in the world have a cold, uh, we, we, we get a shot. When we have a cold, when the United States has a cold, the rest of the world gets the flu, as evidenced by 2007, 2008. So, uh, you know, to Alan's point, um, you know, the neat thing about our system of government is that there are checks and balances. We're going to see those, we're seeing those play out now with the, the travel ban challenge and, um, and, and all things that are going to, going to emanate from there. Um, and he, he, he has some power, but I don't think he's got as much as he thought he had when he came into office, and certainly not as much as many of his supporters thought when they voted for him. Yeah, but Admiral Kennedy, here, here's the problem, is, you know, in his mind, he has immense power. He is a global celebrity on a global stage, and that's where the world belongs. You know, he enters into the G7 summit like Caesar returning from war. Uh, you know, as demonstrated by the nice little hip check he pulled with the Prime Minister of Montenegro. The, the, the bottom line here is that, you know, some of the, if you look at the successful presidents, you know, or arguably, arguably, the successful presidents, you know, ones that history looked back on and said, wow, we may really, you, they were some of the most humble public servants ever. I, go, I give you Harry Truman. I give you uh, George Bush 41. Uh, I give you, you know, even to an extent, I will give credit to Bill Clinton. You know, without the impeachment and without Monica Lewinsky, uh, I think that uh, he would have looked at as a very compassionate, kind, and, and, and almost somewhat, you know, kind of down homesy kind of humble guy. We don't have that here. No, you don't. And that was and, never who he was. That was never who he was, or who he was going to be. And I think it goes back to the, some of the things that we talked about at the very beginning of the show. The expectation that that President Trump was going to behave in a presidential manner of the liking that we have seen before were misplaced expectations. That's not who this guy is. It's not. So, and, 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 you know, I, I even heard, uh, I, I don't remember the gentleman's name, uh, uh, Cezilla on uh, on CNN, talking about the fact that if you're waiting for President Trump to certainly become presidential like the ones that you've seen before in your lifetime, you're wasting your time. The wait is over. It's not going to happen. And so what I don't want to do, what I don't want to do is uh, spend uh, another waking hour waiting for that to happen. What I really like to do is start thinking about, okay, so when this is all over with, you know, what do we do to pick up the pieces and move on? However, it, however, it is. So, um, Alan Moore, last, last comment to you is uh, how big of a mess is going to have to be cleaned up, at least on the international side when, this is all said and done. How much damage? How much damage could actually be done? Hey, you know, it, it's it's hard to know how to how, how to how to quantify how to measure it. It, it. After the war, an alliance in Europe and then an alliance beyond Europe 
between the U.S. and other countries and other in other regions um, turned out to be uh, important stabilizing factors in in the on the question of war and peace that allowed economic exchange to occur in massive uh, massively expansive ways, which meant there was a lot of wealth that could be accumulated and that could in some sense trickle down to raise up um, most people above where they might otherwise have been, especially during uh, a a world at war. And our alliances in in Europe were particularly important in that regard. They helped restore stability and economic strength to Europe and it was enormously valuable to us to have them as partners in in holding off the Soviet Union, but also in expanding economic ties and and um, the standards of living in Europe and in America. We were involved there because it was in our interest. It was a different definition of America first. But that's what it was all about. It was in our interest for them to succeed, and we would succeed along with them. The president has punctured some of that. He's harmed that. He he has interrupted uh, uh, that, um, but he's done that in part by tapping into concerns and fears that linger after the after the major recession. Um, unfortunately, he doesn't have the patience or discipline to really learn about the history and why it, some of this stuff is in our interest. He has people around him who understand, um, and then there are differences of opinion about how exactly that works. It's not you don't have to you don't have to a lot of smart people disagree with me, right? It's so I think I'm smart enough, and I have my view, and other. People plenty smarter, smarter, have have a different view. But at least we we can engage, we can debate, we can discuss, we can reflect. This president has little patience for learning the background and digging in deep and understanding where things come. It's almost as though everything just started back in November and December and January, and it's all transactional. If it feels good, go with it. If it doesn't feel good, go the other way. If you want to change your mind, that's fine. Oh, wait, what? What? That was a problem for these other countries, our longtime partners and allies? Oh, well, get over it. it it's it, it's hard to know. You know, he does change his mind, <laughs> even on NATO, yeah. again and yeah, again well, and again. Yeah, that's so, true. All right, listen, we're going to take – Alan, we we got we to gotta go to break here real quick. Uh, we're going to continue the discussion because, you know, we can't have a backroom politics show in 2017 and not at least talk about Russia once. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the latest uh, developments in the ongoing Russia soap opera here in Washington. This is Backroom Politics live on Blog Talk Radio. We will be back in two minutes. Stay with us.
Jared Kitchener. All that being considered, um, Alan Moore, are, are we seeing is with all this news flying? He still seems to not either get what's happening or is trying to distract what's happening. But either way, is is this President Teflon when it comes to Russia, or are we in fact making too big of a deal of the interaction with Russia? Well, so first of all, almost everything you said we've known for months. So the the Kushner meeting, the the session meetings from last uh, from from last year during the campaign, which he did not disclose um, when he went before the Congress for confirmation hearings. Um, said that he didn't think he had to disclose them. In his mind, he was meeting with the Russians because as a United States senator, not as a uh, Trump campaign person, uh, old, old stuff. I'm not saying it's insignificant stuff. I'm saying it's old stuff. That's what led directly to him feeling compelled to recuse himself from all all things Russia at the Department of Justice, which continues to outrage the president. Well, I so, my understanding was that there was a second meeting that no, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. You know me, but I think I think it all has its roots back there in his recusal, which we're now hearing that the president is still continues to be furious about. With regard to Jared Kushner, his his meetings um uh, uh, so far as I know, were the same ones that were that, that emerged uh, months ago during the transition when he met with uh, Ambassador Kislyak, and then supposedly, as was reported at the time, at Kislyak's request, he met with the Russian banker. We will eventually find out who said what, how the how the meeting occurred, in terms of the back channel stuff. Back channel communication, it's not at all clear who was seeking a back channel. Was it the Russians who suggested to him that during transition it might be useful to have a back channel? Was it him seeking it out? We don't know. But we do have the benefit of a <laughs> of a special counsel in the name of Robert Mueller who's going to be investigating all of this stuff. Um, and the the NSC uh, uh, issue. I'm sorry, the NSA, the National Security Agency document that this poor 25, I say poor, stupid, 25 year old top secret cleared um, uh, woman um, saw fit to release to uh, this website that published it, but did it in a way that allowed the NSA to identify and find her immediate, virtually immediately. So she's been identified, named, arrested, yep. and so far as I know is 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 being held. Um, that all you know that had to do with evidence that it was the Russian military that did try to hack into our into into the the systems of various states that register voters and uh, and and count votes. All of this stuff is the subject of investigations, both in the Congress, 
particularly with regard to their intervention in the uh, uh, in the election, and by the special counsel, whose whose primary focus is going to be the possibility of collusion between uh, the, the people in the Trump campaign um, and 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 the Russians. It's two different tracks. The one makes the president crazy because he thinks his people never colluded in any way, shape, or form. I don't know why he just knows that's true, but uh, unless he's really trying to cover something up. And the other is Russian efforts to impact the election, which he has said on more than one occasion. He wants to get to the bottom of two. So Comey is the big news of this week. It'll be covered live on all of the networks and all the cable shows, and we'll see what he has to say about what the president said to him on the three occasions they spoke. We're going to get we're going to get to that too. Now, going back to since we are about facts, and any time I can correct you on facts, Alan, it's even better. <laughs> uh, according according to a CNN report from Friday, uh, apparently Mueller and the Department of Justice are investigating multiple other meetings between Jeff Sessions and Ambassador Kislyak. During the campaign, not just the one at the Mayflower, there apparently were multiple that they are now starting to investigate. So maybe there were. Maybe there were. I don't know that there were. If if there are more, then he's got more explaining to do and could be in trouble. (laughs) So here's the question is, now the other big news this week was the fact that the president was waffling on whether or not to invoke or try to invoke executive privilege for those who don't know on Thursday, or is it tomorrow? Tomorrow, you know, Thursday. No, uh, former Thursday. F- yeah, Thursday. Former FBI director James Comey will be on the Hill testifying uh, as a civilian, as his own self. Uh, and it it has gotten the blessing of Robert Mueller. Apparently, there was a meeting between Comey and Mueller prior to him agreeing to testify. But there was talk that the president was going to invoke executive privilege. Uh, Alan Moore, you served on committees before in the Senate. Uh, could did the president have a leg to stand on as far as executive privilege, or was that a shot in the dark? <laughs> I- I laugh because the whole idea is absurd. The purpose of executive privilege is to protect people who are working for the president, who are serving the president. If if the Congress said, we want to talk to uh, Jared Kushner or Kellyanne Conway or McMaster or Reince Priebus and drag them up before the Hill and ask a bunch of questions about what the president has said to them, he would invoke executive privilege because they work for him. And, that is the, the 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 serious definition of executive privilege. If Reince Priebus got fired or quit and went out and wanted to sell a book, give speeches, do stories, do interviews, go to the Hill, there's no way that the president could invoke executive privilege on his conversations. He would be governed by 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 laws regarding secrets, top secret information, and so on. But basically, he can go out and tell his story, just just as George Stephanopoulos did years ago when he left the White House and did sort of a tell-all to the, to the, to the fury of everyone. 
The president right. has no ability, no authority to exert executive privilege over a former government employee like Jim Comey. Jim Comey's not going to talk about the investigation. That would be a violation of everything he stands for. He's going to talk about his conversations with the president, what occurred, what he thought he heard, what he wrote down, um, and he's not going to talk about further investigation. They could have tried to invoke executive privilege, and it would have been a laughing stock. It would have been an, a nullity. Anyway, that's my sense of it. So, so Admiral Ken, you know, the, the testimony of James Coney is getting a lot of attention, and yet, uh, just as Alan pointed out, he's not going to come off base and start talking about uh, active investigations, but is is there enough of a story with James Comey that he could cause the president a lot of heartburn? Uh, could this come back and bite the president hard, as in giving possible additional evidence that he may have obstructed a federal investigation? Sure, he could, but I don't think he will. I mean, if really? you go back, Why? yeah. Well, if you go back, so so if you go back to, um, I know the, the the one of the first hearings where Comey went to Capitol Hill, talk about um, uh, Secretary Clinton's email server. Right. Um, everybody, everybody was was absolutely, you know, sure that he was going to drop the bomb and that was going to be it. You know, she was going to get hammered. And then there was probably one or two other things that that, uh, that came along that everybody was absolutely sure. Of. You know, the thing about 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 uh, about Comey that I like is that um, he he can be he can be dependent on to tell the truth. He's going to do what he thinks is the right thing to do, regardless of what anybody thinks. Include that with the Secretary Ashcroft back when the uh, the uh, the Bush administration. He's going to do what he thinks is the right thing to do, um, and, and I admire that about him. The thing that I don't admire about him, he has possibly been the most visible FBI director since J. Edgar Hoover, and that's not a good thing. It's just not a good thing. Um, oh, oh, Admiral, hold on, Admiral, hold on. I would say, Admiral, I would say that Mueller could surpass Comey. Well, again, so um, the thing, the thing that that, that that troubles me the most is. Comey's a Republican, and you know Comey's a good. He's he's been a good public servant, and he's made some mistakes along the way, sure, because none of us are perfect. But you know the guy's been, the guy's a good public servant. And what I find interesting in today is in, in watching the, 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 the watching Fox and CNN and to a lesser extent MSNBC, the number of the Republicans who are still trying to support the president coming out of the woodwork to say bad things and to question Jim Comey's credibility. Oh, well, if you, if you thought he was, was, was obstructing justice, why didn't you say something back then? Yeah, really? That's, that's, that's ridiculous. And the thing that, that I guess that, that, will, that will, will blow me away, if this turns into a he said, he said, Jim Comey has got the truth on his side. He's going to be talking about meetings with the president, who we know is a prolific prevaricator. I mean, holy cow. So this guy's got tons of credibility. But do I think it, 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 that the Thursday is going to be this big, earth-shattering kind of event that's going to, you know, cause the possible end of the life as we know it right now. I do not, and I'm, you know, what I've 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 learned the hard way 
with this with this administration and all things associated with it. Keep your expectations low, and you won't be disappointed. Well, that makes sense. I can definitely see that. Alan, do you agree? Is is there some big possible uh, explosive testimony that Comey could give that could be a shock to everybody, including the president? I, I don't. I don't think so. I, I, I think it will be a big deal for him to say what has what he uh, has what he apparently said and wrote down at the time. It's one thing to hear it uh, in a memo that he wrote for the file from from some anonymous person at the FBI uh, to hear him say it himself, and we'll probably see the document itself. Um, I, I agree with Ken that the that this notion of that some Republicans, well, if it was so bad, why didn't he, he report it at the time? Uh, I think the answer to that is going to be because he didn't feel like he was uh, uh, pressured uh, to the point where he had to uh, blow a whistle. He did want to keep his job. My guess is he thought, and this may, he could say something like this. He could say, I don't think the president had any idea how inappropriate this conversation was. But the way he put it, he was urging me, he was encouraging me, but he wasn't threatening me. And when I said, I can't do that, that was that. That's my hunch as to what will happen. So what was there to report? Gee, the president called me in, encouraged me to do this, and I felt really uncomfortable. But right. I thought, what the hell does he think he's doing here? Boy, he has got some – he's either got some bad advice or he didn't take the advice or he never sought it. Um, and But meanwhile, he writes stuff down. You're going to meet with the president? You're the head of the FBI? And there's some investigations going on that touch close to the president? You're going to write it down. That's what those guys do. Oh, yeah. It's not just Comey who does that. That's what, Those guys are all trained note takers and record oh, keepers. I did the so, Absolutely. You do that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I think it'll be high drama and really fascinating because we're going to get a first person account of what happened. The president, our president, yours and mine, has apparently said he'll be watching. And he'll be tweeting <laughs> during, oh during the testimony. Oh it's like, oh no, get that man, t- strap him down, <laughs> throw his phone away, chain him to a chair. Um, uh, do not let him speak um, way, in, a, Alan, in a solitary voice. Everything that you said, Alan, right now is just being taken down by the Secret Service, and you'll be getting a knock at the house tonight. No, they want that too. They want that too. They they really do. It makes their lives. That's true. We don't don't talk about White Club. (laughs) Hey, um, that being the case, we've got about seven minutes left in the show. Uh, I I am going to take moderator's privilege here and say a couple of things. Uh, Number one, uh, for those who don't know, and and we we tend to forget stuff that happened so far back, but it's still an important day. Uh, Seventy-three years ago today uh, began the uh, liberation of Europe with a very daring and very heroic invasion on the beaches and cliffs of Normandy. Uh, whether it was the, uh, the, the Polish infantry, the 
Royal Navy, the Coast Guard matchbox boat crews, the U.S. Army and the Marines that were all taking positions and putting their life on the line 73 years ago today. We, we, we don't remember big events like that enough, and it's a, it's a big day. It's a special day, and we're losing a lot of that generation. So keep in mind that, you know, this is an important day. Uh, we honor those who gave the ultimate sacrifice. Uh, we honor those who continue to serve in uniform, but for that, we are thankful. And for those who did make the ultimate sacrifice on that day uh, on the beaches of Normandy, that's a debt that we'll never be able to repay, and, and, and we keep you in our memories. Uh, the other thing... The, 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 the invasion and the invasion itself was an amazing example of an alliance with America, Great Britain, and Canada, the major landing forces on the beaches at Normandy. Don't forget the Polish, Alan. The Polish were a major part of that. On, on uh, Juno Beach, uh, the, uh, that, the, the, and the uh, Canadians, the Polish, uh, and the French in exile as well. Because uh, remember, there was also a very large airborne contingent that went in at the uh, parallel time of the beach invasion. So there were a lot of airborne troops that were part of that uh, operation. Yeah, I mean, my, my emphasis was on the alliance and how the alliance was critical to success and to, Ameri- right. and to uh, the definition of America first was Absolutely. America first alongside its allies, who were also first. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, anyway, uh, on that note, also, uh, I want to introduce, we've got a, a new family member here at Backroom Politics, a uh, new assistant producer here who's going to be joining us for the summer. We call them asso- assistant producers or associate producers. They're actually interns. They're free labor. Uh, joining us is Taylor Schuster. He is a junior at the at Ole Miss, the uh, University of Mississippi. So, uh, Taylor, welcome. We're looking forward to having you. It's going to be a good summer. We'll teach you how to do this. Anyway, that being said, uh, on behalf of Admiral Ken Carradine, uh, the Honorable Alan Moore, I am your moderator and host, Justin Russell, and we will be back next week on the best political talk show you've never heard of. This is Backroom Politics, live on Blog Talk Radio from your National Capital Region. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Backroom Politics. You can also follow us with our partners at Sidewire. Download the app on the Google Play Store or the Apple iTunes Store. And you can also uh, email and comment, email your comments to me, Justin at BackroomPolitics.org. Have a great week, America. By the way, tune in for that Comey stuff. It's going to be great, great television drama. We'll see you next Tuesday. Bye bye. Backroom Politics.